we're looking at encounters with the Lord Jesus in John's gospel, and we're spending time in John chapter 3, looking at Jesus's conversation with a man called Nicodemus, who was a very religious, a very moral, a very important man, and he was the teacher in Israel. And Jesus Christ is explaining the way of salvation to him. And we've come to the most famous verse in the whole of the Bible, John 3.16. We've already looked at it, but I've got one more point, and that's what we're going to do this morning. Do you know that verse off by heart? Welsh is my first language. Let's try. Can is vellu y carodd dyw y byd? Fel y rhoddodd dde fe ei unig yn edig fab, fel na cholled pwy bynnag agredo yn ddoef, ond caffael ohono fywyd trygwyddol. Do you know it in your first language? This gift, this is the illustration that Jesus is using. This gift, what do we do when we receive a gift? The first thing we do is ask, who is it from? For God so loved the world. The next thing we do is open it to see what it is. How expensive is it? And this is the most expensive gift. What did God give? He gave his son. His only son, Jesus Christ, was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, said John. And now that Word became a man. That's what God has given. He couldn't have given greater. And the next thing you do, especially if it's an expensive gift, is check if it's really for you. <laughs> Can it really be for me? And yes, God so loved the world. It's not a very nice world, is it? But God loves sinners. And then the last point I want us to consider, and this is what we'll do this morning, is this. How useful is the gift? How useful is it? You can have a wonderful gift, but if it's of no use to you, what's the point? Uh, for example, a person may win a fancy car in a competition, but if they can't drive, what possible use is that gift? So this is what I want to talk about this morning. How useful is this gift of God's Son to you and to me? Listen to Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is how useful it is. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, my friends, that's the most useful thing in the world, and that's putting it mildly. Now, what amazes me here is how simple Jesus Christ is in talking to a very clever person. Uh, God willing, next Sunday we're going to be in John 4, where Jesus meets a person who has no formal education, a woman 
and adulterous. And Jesus Christ is more profound, uh, more philosophical with that woman. But when he's talking to the teacher in Israel, he's teaching him simple things. And he's treating Nicodemus as a little boy. I'm going to follow my master this morning and I'm going to be insultingly simple. Uh, We were blessed yesterday afternoon listening uh, to uh, men uh, who were ministers in the 70s and 80s and how God uh, blessed the gospel that was preached at the time. Many people came to faith including in this church. I remember one uh, member telling me uh, they re-listened to one of Vernon Hyam's sermons uh, from a time of blessing in this church because their father were converted in that meeting and a number of other people were converted in the same service. Imagine if a number of you were to be saved today. And this person was looking forward to listening to this sermon thinking it must have been an amazing sermon. But they were disappointed because it was so simple, so plain. Now, what we experienced a few generations ago was not revival. This country knew revival where you have uh, not just a church transformed, but a community saturated with the presence of God. And one of the greatest preachers we've ever had was a man called George Whitfield. You've heard of him, haven't you, many of you? 18th century preacher. And when I was converted, I heard about George Whitfield, and I bought a book of his sermons, thinking they'd be amazing. Sermons on important subjects, it was called. And you know what struck me? How plain they were. Even to the point, and forgive me for using this term, for being a bit insulting to one's intelligence. Jesus Christ here is doing the same. So let's ask, how useful is this gift of salvation? My first point, it's our greatest need to be saved. Now, there's a lot of talk, isn't there? And there's something right about this on saving the planets. And we are now being told in no uncertain terms that we have to live in a certain way in order to look after the planets. Now, I'm all for that because God tells us to be good stewards. But we don't hear about something else that needs to be saved. And this is what Jesus Christ is talking about this morning. Now, you will hear the word saved in this church and the word salvation, but you might be a bit like uh, R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul's a famous author. He's gone to heaven now. And he was once uh, walking down the street as a young man, and he had a person come up to him, a Christian, and he asked him, are you saved? And R.C. Sproul's next question was, saved from what? Saved from what? And this person who was witnessing couldn't say. He couldn't explain what he needed to be saved from. Isn't that sad? 
Now, it's good that we're getting excited about outreach. In the student's world, it's a big thing, isn't it? Outreach, that's good. But sometimes we can forget what we're reaching out with. What is you and I's greatest need? It is to be saved, not just saving the planet, but saving what we call the soul. What's the soul? The soul is the spirit part of you and I. We are bodies and we are souls. Now then, Jesus uses picture language to explain this to Nicodemus. He's giving him a children's story. I don't know if Nicodemus was insulted by that. And Jesus uses something from the Old Testament, as we looked at a few weeks ago, that Nicodemus would have been familiar with, that the children of Israel in the wilderness were bitten by snakes because of their rebellion, and God told Moses to build a bronze snake, and whoever looked at that bronze snake, even if they were bitten, they would be healed. If they didn't look at that bronze snake, the bite would kill them. So, what is Jesus Christ telling Nicodemus? He's telling Nicodemus, listen, Nicodemus Bach, as we say in Welsh, your religion is not going to do you any good. There's no point in you coming to me wanting to have a deep discussion. Nicodemus, you need to be saved. You are perishing. Death, death. That's what's in front of all of us. You can't deny that, can you? But death is not the end. That's where we need to really uh, come to our senses. Death is not the end. Do you know what death is? Death is separation. So death wasn't part of God's plan. Uh, God created this universe and it was perfect. God created the earth and it was paradise. And God puts the first man and woman he had created, and they were perfect as well, in the Garden of Eden. But death came in through the devil, and the devil became a snake, interesting, and he tempted Eve to rebel against God, and she caused her husband to fall, and as a result of that, death came in. What happened in the fall? There was a separation do you know what was separated? Man, that is humankind, became separated from its creator. God said to Adam and Eve, if you rebel against me, dying you shall die. And immediately there was separation. So Adam and Eve became spiritually dead. They were separated from the life of God. They were still alive, like we are this morning, still existing. But they were dead spiritually. And people lived longer in those days. They lived for hundreds of years. And after a few hundred years, Adam and Eve breathed their last and they died physically. What's physical death? Physical death is separation of body and soul. So the body goes to the grave or it's cremated, but the soul goes on and lives forever. And this is what being saved is all about. Because Jesus is very clear on this. He says, when we die, we face God as judge, and we are going to be lost forever. That, that, that's what perishing means. Death isn't the end. 
When Jesus talks about eternal destruction, he's not talking about a moment we cease to exist. No, we're going to exist forever. But instead of existing in heaven, we're existing in hell. Jesus Christ talked uh, often about hell, believe it or not. He talked about a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I know it's easy to become abusive in talking about hell. That is not what I'm doing this morning. All I'm doing is opening the word of God. And the man who came into this world, who was God and is God, and who has come from heaven, he has every right to tell us about what's after death. And it's Jesus Christ who warns about hell. I don't have any rights to say of any here this morning uh, that you are definitely going to be in hell. I haven't got the right to say that. The Bible says, if you remain outside of Christ and die in that condition, you will go to hell. But that's not me making judgments. You know, George Whitsfield, when he was a young preacher, he fell into the trap, even as a preacher, of assigning people. <laughs> if a bishop didn't <laughs> agree with him, uh, Whitsfield would say that bishop was already, was already going to be in hell. We can't say that. You and I are appointed once to die, and after that the judgments. God is the judge, and will not the God of all the earth do Right. Listen to Jesus Christ here. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned. We are saved in Christ. But he who does not believe, is that you, is already condemned. Already condemned from the moment we are born into this world. We are spiritually dead we have this horrible spiritual disease called sin, which is rebellion against God. And that condemns us from the presence of God. We are unclean. And God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And God can't allow what is unclean into his perfect heaven. God sent Adam and Eve out of paradise east of Eden, and two flaming swords were blocking the way back. Let me use an illustration. Uh, I hope this helps. Uh, we had a cat when we were growing up called Smutin. You, you call dogs Smutin, but you don't call cats that name, but we called our cats that. And Smutin wanted to please us. And we lived out in the countryside. And so what Smutin loved to do was kill a squirrel. And he would bring the squirrel then as an offering to us. And so he, he would bring this bloodied squirrel. Uh, he'd be holding it in its teeth. And he would bring it into the kitchen. And put it on the kitchen floor. Blood and all. Now we had to stop Smutin from coming in. We had to ban Smutin from bringing a filthy thing into our clean kitchen. That's what happened when our first parents fell. Paradise was lost. We're banned from entering 
heaven because we are unclean. There's a hymn, isn't there, by Thomas Binney. He put it well. He said, the spirits that surround thy throne can bear the burning bliss of heaven, but that's surely theirs alone, for they have never, ever known a fallen world like this. Oh, how can I, whose native sphere is dark, I'm unclean, whose mind is dim, before God appear and on my naked spirit bear the uncreated beam. I'm not being a bigot saying these things. It's not me or the church that's assigning people to hell. It's what God says about our state. We need to be saved. My friends, have you realized that, that your greatest need, this is what makes this gift so wonderful, so useful, is because it saves us from eternal condemnation. Now, let's look at that. I, I don't want to be negative. I, I've got to be negative to start with. The gospel is good news, but you must hear the bad news first. But what's the good news? Well, our greatest blessing. What is our greatest blessing? Listen, this is the good news. I'm not starting with you and I first. I'm starting with God. Our greatest blessing is this. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God isn't harsh. God is holy. God is just. God is so holy that he can't just wink at our sins. He can't brush it under the carpets. He's got to deal with it. But God loves you and me. God so loved that he did something to open the door to heaven. So in the words of Milton, yes, paradise was lost, but paradise has been regained. Praise God. That's what I'm looking at this morning. This is what Jesus Christ is reminding Nicodemus of. How can I, whose native sphere is dark, enter into the light of heaven without being burned up by God's pure holiness? The answer is Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave this person do you know the name Jesus is significant? I don't know why you named uh, your newborn Timothy. Uh, but I'm sure there's a significance. But there's a, an even greater significance to the name Jesus. Do you know what it means? Saviour. One who saves. One who saves. How does he save? How does he deliver us? From the wrath to come, how does he make a sinner dead in trespasses and sins, condemned, unclean? How does he change such into those who are reconciled to God and who are perfect? Well, I haven't got time to go into it, but Jesus Christ talks about being born again, doesn't he? Even though we're spiritually dead, the gospel is about life. You can be born again. You can't do it, but God can do it in you. And Jesus Christ, and this is what I'm concentrating on, takes away the condemnation by being condemned himself. Isn't that what we've been singing about? Weren't you blessed singing that first hymn? Let, let me tell you what happened to me in my holidays. I went jogging one day in woods, and it's spring, spring fever. And... I used to listen to music on my headphones when I went jogging. I don't anymore because there's better music. There's better music in the creation. And I was jogging through these woods and there was a choir of birds 
and there were squirrels running around, and the bluebells were out, and the whole of God's creation was worshipping its creator. When through the woods and forest glades, I wonder, and hear the birds sing in the trees. It was a benediction. I was in a church of God's creation. Let me tell you what else I did on my holidays. I climbed Trevan, the north ridge of Trevan. Very dangerous. Couldn't understand why people around me had ropes, but... <laughs> when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur, looking at the abyss from the cliffs, wow, my father created this. That's a good enough reason for us to gather here this morning, isn't it? To worship such a creator. But listen, listen. This is how useful this gift of Jesus Christ is. We've got a higher reason for singing his praises. That hymn gets it, doesn't it? And when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die on another mountain, Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull, not a mountain you'd want to climb as a tourist. Incidentally, it's probably, probably by the bus stop in modern-day Jerusalem. But on that mountain, something wonderful happened 2,000 years ago. He died. The only begotten Son of God, the author of life, was put to death. in order that he might die your death and mine. And when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross he didn't die for his own sins. He didn't have any. My sins, my burden, gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sins. Then sings my soul. Don't you feel sometimes like bursting into praise? How great thou art. We've got a great saviour. We've got a great salvation. We've got something to sing about. Haven't we? Oh, my friends, it does my soul good to be in this pulpit this morning, just reminding myself and reminding us of this simple gospel. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Tell me the story often, for I forget too soon. Haven't we been... Suffering from a bit of spiritual amnesia. And it's not just we've been saved from perishing from our sin. But we've been saved too. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. That's enough for me to give thanks to God. To be saved from hell. But saved too everlasting life. Isn't that amazing? What's this everlasting life? It's the quantity, the quantity, so when we die, we're going to live forever. We're going to live forever. I read in one commentary about a tombstone in Arizona where the epitaph is, here lies Les Moore. No less, no more. <laughs> Do you enjoy? I enjoy going to cemeteries looking at the epitaphs. 
here's a better one. It was um, written uh, in the paper when Billy Graham died. Did, did you read this? Some day you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Pastor, you'll say to me, you read that quote last sermon you preached. You're being repetitive. Hang on. I'm doing what Jesus Christ is doing here. How often is he reminding Nicodemus of you must be born again? He's saying it three times in the same sermon. And he says it differently each time. And that quote I gave last time was D.L. Moody. So I'm not repeating myself. And what I find amazing is that Billy Graham took that quote from a hundred years ago and made it his own. Can you make it your own? Can you say, someday you will read that when Hughes is dead, don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have changed my address. No longer a flat, but a mansion. Isn't this an amazing gift? Imagine if somebody had left you a mansion in their will. Well, Jesus Christ has. <laughs> I was listening to the radio coming here this morning and... Uh, Somebody was talking about, uh, it was about, I, about, about love songs, right? And somebody was talking about looking forward to sharing forever with their loved one. What nonsense. You're not going to share forever with your spouse. We're not going to know one another in that way in heaven. But we're going to share our forever home with our forever saviour. So it talks about quantity, quantity. But it also talks about quality of life, doesn't it? Jesus said, I have come that you may have life now and life more abundantly. Jesus Christ doesn't speak in the future tense here. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life now. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, the life of God has entered your soul. Don't you feel it? It may not be as powerful as it should be. In a time of revival, we would be overwhelmed with the presence of God. But even in a day of small things, there is this spiritual life beating in us. It was said of one Puritan, have you heard of Dr. Sibbs, the heavenly Dr. Sibbs, he was called, he wrote a brilliant little book, The Bruised Reed, read it. And it was said of Dr. Sibbs, of this blessed man, heaven was in him before he was in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you like to be a person like that? Heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. And we sang, didn't we? The men of grace have found glory begun below, glory here. Religion never was designed to make our pleasures less. I've got to finish. One last point. This is the most useful gift in the universe because our greatest need is to be saved 
Not just the planets, but my soul will be saved. And in the end, the universe will be saved because there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And it's our greatest blessing to not just be forgiven, but to have eternal life, eternal life. And then the greatest thing we possess. Do you know what's the greatest thing you possess? I know it's Christ and everything that we have in Christ. But how did that come to us? How did that come to us? So if you think of this salvation as a gift, it's not enough for you just to know that a gift is being offered to you. It's not enough for you to know that this gift is being offered for free. Now, we like that in Wales, don't we? Something for free. Well, this is the greatest gift, and it's being offered for free, but it's no use unless you take it. Now, the Bible calls that faith. Jesus Christ uses that word here. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is already condemned. What is it to believe? Yes, it's to know about Jesus Christ. That's not enough. Judas Iscariot knew, didn't he? But he was condemned. Yes, it's to agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died for sinners on the cross. To assent. But the devils believe that. And they're not saved. The essence of saving faith, and it's in the Greek here, it's to believe into Christ. It's trusting. It's abandoning oneself. To Jesus Christ. The devils don't do that. Uh, J.C. Ryle. I'm coming to a conclusion. I'm winding down. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the very key of salvation. He that has it has life. And he that has it not has not life. We may fast and mourn for sin and do many good works and religious duties and yet remain condemned. But if we only come to Christ as guilty sinners and believe into him, our sins shall all at once be forgiven. Without faith there is no salvation, but through faith in Jesus the vilest, the vilest is saved. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Do, do you remember the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress? Uh, Pilgrim hears that he's condemned and he's convicted of his sin and he's in the city of destruction cardiff is the city of destruction and what he is uh, told by evangelist is to go to jesus christ and his friends try to persuade him otherwise they try to drag him back and you know what uh, pilgrim does or christian as he becomes he puts his fingers in his ears and he runs out of the city of destruction he runs towards christ and he shouts out life Life, eternal life. May we, 
not rest until we know that this gift of salvation is ours. It's a personal saviour in the end, isn't it? Mine, mine, mine. I know you are mine. And if you have Jesus Christ, rejoice. You've got something that will last forever. You've got the most important gift in the world. It doesn't matter what else you may not have. If you've got this, you've got everything. I believe in a health and wealth gospel in that regard. Because this is health to the soul. And this is wealth forevermore. We are rich. We are really rich. We have a rich father. And we, we, we've got an older brother and time has gone. So I will stop there.